If you haven't turned to Hebrews chapter 5, please do that now. Uh, As we begin today, I want to tell you a story about a little girl. I've told this story at least once before, but uh, she has to spend her entire life trusting other people. In fact, she will go to her grave trusting other people. Ashlyn Blocker's parents and kindergarten teachers all describe her the same way, fearless. So they nervously watch her plunge full tilt into a childhood deprived of natural alarms. In the school cafeteria, teachers put ice in five-year-old Ashlyn's chili. If her lunch is scalding hot, she'll gulp it down anyway. On the playground, the teacher's aides watch Ashlyn from within 15 feet, keeping her off the jungle gym and giving chase when she runs. If she takes a hard fall, Ashlyn won't cry. Ashlyn is among a tiny number of people in the world known to have congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis, or CIPA. It's a rare genetic disorder that makes her unable to feel pain. Some people would say that's a good thing, but no, it's not, says Tara Blocker, Ashlyn's mother. Pain's there for a reason. It lets your body know something's wrong and it needs to be fixed. I'd give anything for her to feel pain. The untreatable disease also makes Ashlyn incapable of sensing extreme temperatures, hot or cold, disabling her body's ability to cool itself by sweating. Otherwise, her senses senses are normal. She can feel the texture of the nickels and dimes that she sorts into piles on her bedroom floor. She can feel the heft of the pink backpack she totes to school. She can feel the embrace of a hug. She feels hunger cravings for her favorite after-school snack, pickles and strawberry milk. Maybe it's good. I don't know. It doesn't sound good to me, pickles and strawberry milk. The reason why she can still sense something is because the genetic mutation that causes CIPA only disrupts the development of these small nerve fibers that carry sensations of pain and heat and cold to the brain. Dr. Felicia Axelrod, a professor of pediatrics and neurology at New York University School of Medicine, said this, There are all kinds of different nerve cells that help us feel different sensations. You can have one sense removed, just like you can lose your hearing, but still smell things. Now think about this, Grace. Think about this little girl. She's actually a teenager now. I'm really fascinated with her story. And I just read something else about her. that uh, She's a teenager now. I think she's about 16. Recently, she was cooking some ramen noodles on the stove, had the water boiling, and she dropped the spoon down into the water and just out of instinct just reached in and grabbed the spoon out and then realized, I may have burned myself. I don't know. So she went and ran her hand under cold water, and her mom came in, and her hand... Uh, was not doing well. So she's a teenager now, but think about this. She has to trust other people about what's going on in her life and with her body. She has learned to trust other people because she doesn't always know what's going on. She can't feel pain, so she has to trust. Her only option 
is to trust other people because she can't feel pain. In fact, she lives her whole life trusting other people, and she will go to her grave trusting other people. But wouldn't it be great to be from pain, free from pain? Many of us, in fact, probably all of us, would love to be free from pain. We don't want pain. We don't want suffering. We long to be like Ashlyn. We want that sensation of pain to be gone from our lives. We could do without it, right? I mean, we could do without all of the suffering that we all experience. Can you imagine? No more physical pain, no relational strain, no drama, no mess, no suffering, no heartache. We would all love to have a life free from pain. But as Ashlyn's mother stated, some people would say that's a good thing to not be able to feel pain, but no, it's not. Pain's there for a reason. It lets your body know that something's wrong and it needs to be fixed. I'd give anything for her to feel pain. I think all of us would love to live a life free of suffering and pain, but that's not reality. We live in a fallen, broken world that our first parents, Adam and Eve, messed up through their sin, through their rebellion, and so we will suffer. We will experience pain in this world, and there's just no way of getting around it. And that's why there was a mass shooting in the early hours of this morning in Florida uh, today. It's because of sin, because of rebellion, because human beings are sinners. And we need to be praying for those people and their families down there. We, we all suffer in some way because this world is broken. And because this world is broken, terrible, terrible things happen to people all the time. But perhaps the most staggering thing of all is that Jesus suffered. You would think that Jesus, of all people, would get a pass on suffering. You would think that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who is the radiance of God's glory and is the exact imprint or essence or nature as God, you would think that he would get a pass on suffering. He would get a pass on pain. You would think that Jesus, the one who was eternally loved by his Father, eternally cherished by his Father, you would think that he, of all people, would get a pass on suffering and a pass on pain. But he didn't. And even more staggering than that is that the suffering of Jesus was actually proof of God's love. Let me repeat that. The suffering of Jesus was actually proof of God's love. Now, I know that sounds strange, but God the Father loved his son so much that he allowed him to suffer. That's such a staggering thought that I have to repeat it again. God the Father loved his son Jesus so much that he allowed him to suffer. We should probably stop and think about that, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get to that thought in a moment, but first, our big idea today is this your pain and suffering are there for a reason. Trust your heavenly father. Everything that you are experiencing today, right now, all the pain, 
all the suffering, all the relational strife, all the the heartache, the, the sleepless nights, the not eating, the losing weight because you're not eating, because you're so stressed out, the tears, it's all there for a reason. And you can trust your heavenly father because he's good and he loves you and he knows what he's doing. And the Hebrews needed this reminder too because if you recall, they were going through a lot of suffering, experiencing a lot of suffering in their life. And I'm sure they had lots of questions as to why. Why are we suffering God? And I have a hunch that a good number of us here are suffering and we have lots of questions as to why we are suffering. So my guess is that we need this reminder too today. And we will get that reminder when we look to Jesus. Because Jesus spent his whole life suffering. Jesus spent his whole life experiencing pain for a reason. And that reason was this. To become the source of our eternal salvation. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. We're only going to look at verses 9 through 10 today. Hear the word of the Lord. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now last week we talked about how Jesus suffered and how he learned obedience through what he suffered. And continuing this theme of suffering, the preacher of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was made perfect. It was through his sufferings that Jesus was made perfect. Now, you may recall that the preacher of Hebrews has already told us this in chapter 2. I told you he's a preacher and he likes to repeat himself. Preachers love to repeat themselves. So he's already told us this in chapter 2 verse 10 where he said this. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So there's a connection here in Hebrews chapter 5, just as there is in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. There's a connection between what Jesus suffered throughout his life and how that suffering made him perfect. And so the million dollar question is this, what does the phrase being perfect mean? How was Jesus made perfect? If Jesus is perfect because he is 100% God, and if he never sinned, and all those things are true, then how can the preacher of Hebrews speak of Jesus being made perfect? What does it mean that Jesus was made perfect? Well, let me tell you first what it does not mean. It does not mean that Jesus wasn't born perfect. It does not mean that Jesus wasn't perfect and somehow through his life he managed to become perfect and sinless through his sufferings. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that Jesus was sinful and then he eventually became perfect. It doesn't mean any of those things because those things are blasphemy. Jesus was born perfect. He was born without sin. He was born without a sin nature like we have. He was born into this world as the perfect God-man, and he never sinned. So what does it mean that Jesus was made perfect through his sufferings? Well, in order to understand what the preacher of Hebrews is saying here, we need to look at the Greek word that's used here in Hebrews 5.9, and it's also the same Greek word that's used in 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It's the word, the word for perfect. It's teleao. It refers to bringing something to completion, bringing something to a planned end. It means to complete or to mature. It's part of the same word family that Jesus used when he cried out in John 19.30 on the cross when he said, It is finished. It is finished. When Jesus said that, he meant that he had completed or finished everything that God the Father had sent him to do. He had obeyed the law for us as the second Adam and was bearing the curse of the law on our behalf on the cross. And so the idea here in Hebrews 5.9 is to complete or to finish something. But that does not mean that Jesus was moving or progressing towards some kind of perfection in his life. He was already perfect. He wasn't on the path to finally becoming perfect when he gets to the end of his life because, as I already said, he was born without sin. He never sinned. So what does it mean that Jesus was made perfect? When the preacher of Hebrews says that Jesus was made perfect, he means that Jesus grew spiritually and became spiritually mature to the point that he would be ready to endure the cross. Jesus grew spiritually and became spiritually mature to the point that he would be ready to endure the agonies of the cross. And this is exactly why Jesus prayed the way he did with loud cries and tears. As I said two weeks ago, there's a connection between what Jesus prayed about and how Jesus prayed during his life and then what happened with his death on the cross. His prayers were preparing him for the cross. He prayed the way he did with loud cries and tears because he needed to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit so that he would be ready to go to the cross. He prayed the way he did because he did not want to disobey his father. He prayed the way he did so that he could complete his mission of being the second Adam. And so he had to grow spiritually and become spiritually mature over time throughout the course of his life. And that's exactly what Luke tells us in his gospel in chapter 2. I'll read verses 40 and 52 for you. It says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus had to grow up in, in faith. His trust in his father had to grow and increase. He had to spend his entire life trusting his father. He had to increase in wisdom. And he had to reach a place in his faith where he would be ready to go to the cross. In other words, the planned end of Jesus' life was the cross. And he had to endure suffering throughout his entire life in order to get there. The cross would complete the work that he came to do. And all of his suffering throughout his entire life was preparing him for that moment. So he spent his whole life trusting his father, and he ultimately went to the cross, and he went to the grave, trusting. And so all of Jesus' life was moving towards that one moment, moving towards that one moment when he would finish what God sent him to do, to bear the curse of the law on our behalf and to die in our place. And this is why Jesus had to go through so much suffering during the course of his life. 
Because going to the cross was not a walk in the park. Going to the cross was not a piece of cake even for the God-man Jesus. Even for the eternal Son of God. In fact, it would take Jesus his entire life to prepare to go to the cross. All of his life. That means then, as I've told you before, that Jesus was not ready to go to the cross at age 12. And Jesus was not ready to go to the cross at age 30. He needed to mature or be made complete or be made perfect or be readied to lay his life down on the cross. I don't think that 12-year-old pimple-faced Jesus who was going through puberty, I don't think he was mentally and emotionally capable of going to the cross at age 12. I don't think he would even be able to fully comprehend what separation from his father would be like. And so Jesus had to be made perfect, meaning he had to grow. He had to learn and grow through the fires of suffering so that he would be able to face the awful suffering that was awaiting him at Calvary. And this maturity, this completion, this perfection came about as he learned obedience in the fires of suffering. He was made perfect through his suffering. And everything that he suffered and everything that he endured throughout his whole life was all moving him to that final test, his greatest test. And how do the Gospels describe his greatest test in the moments leading up to his greatest test? What did it look like for Jesus to resist temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane? Luke tells us in Luke 22. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus had to have an angel strengthen him in the garden of Gethsemane. His agony was so great, he needed an angel to strengthen him. He sweat great drops of blood. This was not a walk in the park. This was not easy. This was hard fought. Jesus' obedience, as we talked about last week, was anything but easy. It was anything but automatic. It was very difficult and hard fought by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And what prepared Jesus for this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweat great drops of blood? Was it not we talked, what we talked about last week, all the lighter demands of his father in the lighter sufferings of his life, all of the temptations and the tests that Jesus endured throughout his whole life were preparing him for the cross Day after day, test after test, temptation after temptation, Jesus grew and became stronger until the time he was ready. And there came a point in time when Jesus was ready to go to the cross. And even then, 
it came with great struggle. Even then he needed an angel to strengthen him. And how was he enabled to go to the cross? It was the years and the years and the years of crying out to God in prayer with loud cries and tears. It was the moments and the days and the weeks and the months and the years of using Kleenex as he cried out to his father. It was going through box after box after box of Kleenex as he went through fire after fire after fire of suffering that he was being readied to lay his life down on the cross. So Jesus needed to mature or be made perfect or be readied to lay his life down on the cross and he used a lot of Kleenex to get there and he shed a lot of tears and his voice got hoarse from all of the loud cries that he offered up to his father and this maturity, this completion, this perfection came about as he learned obedience in the fires of suffering. And when Jesus had suffered enough and had gone through the perfect amount of testing and maturing and completion, then the fullness of time had come and he was ready to go to the cross to taste death for us. And that's why the preacher says what he says in the rest of verses 9 through 10. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, we're going to postpone any discussion of, of Melchizedek for a few more weeks until we get to chapter 7 because that's what the preacher of Hebrews does. He's already mentioned Melchizedek in verse 6. He mentions him again in verse 10, but he doesn't really get to Melchizedek until he gets to chapter 7. And there's a reason why he can't explain Melchizedek to the Hebrews just yet. And we'll find out the reason why over the coming weeks. But we're eventually going to get to chapter 7 where we can talk about Melchizedek and how Jesus was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So you're going to have to be patient for that, okay? But there's a few exciting verses in between there that I'm sure you want to find out about. Like, can someone be restored to repentance if they fall away? So, before we get to Melchizedek, we've got to answer that question, and that will happen over the coming weeks. But, notice that the preacher is telling us here why Jesus suffered. He's answering the whys of Jesus' suffering. And the answer is that it was because Jesus was perfected through suffering that he was able to become the eternal source of salvation for all who obey him. His perfect obedience to the law is what actually enables and fuels us to obey him. And so our salvation was riding on the fact that Jesus needed to mature and be made complete through suffering Jesus knew that it was God's eternal plan for him to suffer, so he went to the grave trusting. And if you could interview Jesus back then as he was suffering, and if you asked him, Jesus, what sort of advice would you give to those who are suffering? I think Jesus would say this, your pain and suffering are there for a reason. Trust your heavenly Father. And if Jesus had a Twitter account back then, I think he would have tweeted the same thing. Your pain and suffering are there for a reason. Trust your heavenly father. That's what I did. Jesus trusted his father in heaven. He trusted his father in heaven because he knew his father was good. And he knew that his father loved him. 
But let's pause here because I want you to think about something. Think about how much God the Father loved his son that he allowed him to suffer. Let me say that again. Think about how much God the Father loved Jesus that he allowed him to suffer. Think about if Jesus just had an easy life and he kind of coasted through and he was never tempted and he was never tested and he never suffered and he never experienced pain and sorrow. And then, all of a sudden, he was thrust into the moments before and during his crucifixion. He would not have been ready in his human nature. It would have been too overwhelming for him. It was already almost too much for Jesus after 33 years of testing and trial and suffering. It was already too, almost too much for him. At the, imagine if he never experienced any of that stuff and was just thrust into the garden and then thrust upon the cross. What if it had all, all had just been thrust upon him without the preparation? So see here the great love of God in allowing his son to suffer greatly throughout his life so that he could accomplish redemption. See here the great love of God in allowing his son to suffer greatly throughout his entire life so that he could be the eternal source of salvation for all who obey him. What love Think about how much God the Father loved his son that he allowed him to suffer before he went to the cross. What amazing love that he was allowed to suffer 33 years of pain and suffering. I know it doesn't sound like it's loving, but it was. I know it sounds odd that Jesus needed to suffer But Jesus had to be made perfect through suffering so that he could be the source of our eternal salvation. And he would not have been ready for the cross had God the Father not allowed him to suffer so much. And then see here what love God has for us. God allowed his son Jesus to suffer horribly throughout his life and then ultimately on the cross. Because of that, what kind of high priest is Jesus? He's a merciful one. He's a faithful one. This is why it was fitting for Jesus to suffer. So that when we suffer, we go to him as our great, merciful, and faithful high priest. He is merciful because he's been there and done that. He suffered tremendously throughout his entire life so he can help us when we suffer. He's sympathetic because he suffered too. When we have heartbreak and relational strain and and physical pain and suffering and we go to him, he understands And that's why it was fitting for him to suffer so that he could experience what we experience and suffer as we suffer and then be an understanding, compassionate, sympathetic, merciful high priest. Listen, Grace. Listen, Christian. Jesus knows what it is like to have to wait 
in the midst of suffering. Your Savior knows exactly what you are feeling and what you're going through right now. Jesus is not detached from your experience. He did not get a pass on suffering. He was not granted immunity. He was not granted instant relief. He went through hell on earth just like some of you are going through right now. And he had to learn the hardest part about suffering. Waiting. Waiting is the hardest part of suffering. It's the hard, hardest part of any suffering. It's just waiting. It's, it's hard because suffering is located in the dimension of time. It's located within minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. Suffering lives in time. That's where suffering lives. Suffering lives in, in clocks and calendars. And scripture's one word answer to suffering is always wait. We would love instant relief from suffering. Or at least that's how I react to suffering. I want instant relief. I want instant answers. But that's not how this thing works. The answer is often wait. And the reason why Jesus had to endure 33 long years of pain and suffering is because his suffering was located in time. His suffering was located in minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. And his father's one word answer was always, wait. Wait, son. You're not ready. It's not time yet. I know it's hard. I know you want relief, but you have to wait. Trust me. That's why it was fitting for Jesus to suffer, so that he could learn to wait. Because suffering is always and only located in time, in the minutes, and the hours, and the days, and the weeks, and the months, and the years. Suffering lives in clocks. It lives in calendars. And so Jesus had to endure much suffering so that he could be a merciful high priest to us, when we are in the middle of our suffering, when we are in the middle of waiting. Jesus is the perfect savior for suffering people because he himself was perfected through suffering. Jesus is the perfect savior for suffering people because he himself was perfected through suffering. Please understand that when Jesus comes alongside you in your pain and in your suffering, he doesn't do it at a distance. He's right next to you and he has been where you are. So he does not show up to us in a well-pressed shirt looking all tidy and neat. No, when Jesus comes to us in our suffering, he comes with messed up hair like he's been pulling his hair out from being so overwhelmed. He shows up with with tears running down his cheeks. He shows up with a running nose from crying so much with the Kleenex in hand. His eyes are bloodshot from crying so much. His throat hurts from crying out. He shows up looking haggard because he hasn't slept in days. That's how Jesus comes to us in our suffering. As someone who's been there and done that. Christian, Jesus has been where you are. You can trust him. You can entrust your pain and your suffering to him. He's the perfect one to come alongside you as you suffer because he was perfected through his suffering. And so what are a few takeaways for us today? Number one, suffering and trials are gifts from God designed for our growth. Suffering and trials are gifts from God 
designed for our growth. The pathway to growth and transformation in the Christian life is paved with suffering. God designs it. He takes us through hardships. He takes us through difficulties so that we will grow and mature. And ultimately, so that he will be glorified. And when you begin to understand that God takes us through sufferings and trials and hardships because it is only through these hardships that we grow, then you will have the right perspective. God takes us through these hardships because he loves us. Think about that. God takes us through these hardships that we experience in this fallen, broken world because he loves us. Harry Reader says, asking the potter to stop molding you to avoid pain and suffering is understandable, but in reality, you're asking him to stop loving you. Asking God to stop molding you and maturing you and causing you to grow so that you can avoid the pain and suffering, it's understandable. We all relate to that. But in reality, when we ask God to do that, we're asking him to stop loving us. Think about Jesus, how unloving it would have been if God the Father did not prepare Jesus for the cross. How unloving if God the Father told 12-year-old Jesus that he would go to the cross after he left the temple that day in Luke chapter 2. Jesus wasn't ready then, and so God takes him through trial after trial so Jesus will be ready to endure the cross. And all of these trials and all of these sufferings were proof of God's love for Jesus. And our Trials and our sufferings and our hardships are proof of God's love for us. God allows things to prepare us and conform us to the image of his son. That's his love. How good God is to prepare us. Just as our call to worship this morning declared out of Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because, God, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we suffer, God gives us the grace to endure. And when we endure, that produces character and fruit and growth in our life. And when we see that character and fruit and growth in our life, it gives us hope that the gospel is real and salvation is real. And we don't experience any shame even when we fail in that suffering because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But oh, how we resist that path of pain and suffering. How hard it is to rejoice in our sufferings. Steve Brown said, pain is not something most people like. That is why we run from it as fast as we can. That is also why we aren't free. Jesus hardly ever goes to those places where we run. When pain comes or when we fear that it will come, don't run away. Run to it and you will find you have run into the arms of Jesus. Then you will laugh and dance in the freedom and the reality of God's sufficiency and the power that becomes awesome in your weakness. Now, I'm not advocating that we celebrate pain and suffering and brokenness. I'm not saying that we should ask for suffering to come our way. Please, God, bring more suffering. It's what I want in my life. I'm not advocating that because that's ridiculous and it's downright stupid. My hunch is that you already have enough suffering and pain and sorrow in your life. You don't need to ask God for more. If you're like me, you're always asking for relief. 
So please understand, I am not saying that we should ask for suffering, but what I am saying is that our sufferings can be seen as good things if they draw us closer to Jesus and they make us more like him as we obey him through our sufferings. Suffering is central to the Christian story. Jesus suffered and we suffer. And though suffering is central, it is not final. It does not get the last word. Suffering is central to the Christian story, but it is not final. Ed Welch said, we see that suffering is not the last word, but hope is. We see that God has purposes in hardships. And the grandest purpose is that we would trust him rather than be fair weather friends who trust only when we have what we want. So suffering and trials are gifts from God designed for our growth. But another takeaway is this. We may not, and we probably won't, get all of the whys answered in this life. We may not. In fact, we probably won't get all of the whys answered in this life. All of the why, God, why did that happen? We might get those answered, but my experience is that most of the God, why did that happen? God, why is this happening to me? My hunch is that most of those questions won't be answered until we see Jesus. But for Jesus, he knew the answer to the whys of his suffering. He knew that he must suffer, and he knew why, so that he could be the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. But we don't always get the the whys of our suffering answered, but Jesus knew the why. Think about that. Jesus knew the why. And it was still hard. And he still had to trust. Think about it. Jesus knew every reason why he was suffering, every reason why he was going through what he was going through. And it was still hard. And he still had to trust. And even if you knew why, even if you knew all of the reasons why you are suffering and going through what you're going through or why things are happening to you the way that they're happening to you, even if you knew all of those answers, it would still be hard and you would still have to trust your father. See, I think we've bought the lie that if I just know why this is happening, then it will be easy to go through this. But that's not true. Even if God told you why you're experiencing what you're experiencing and could give you the big picture and show you how it's working for your good, how it's working for his glory, even if he showed you all of that, it would still be hard and you would still have to trust him because you live in a fallen broken world Christian author and counselor Larry Crabb gave these gospel filled words to a young man who was suffering through the divorce of his parents Larry Crabb told him the why is none of your concern this is not your burden to fix or figure out you are not responsible for your parents relationship or their reputation or even your own reputation those are in God's hands and his ways are his not ours When it comes to God's will, the sooner you can get out of the conjecture business, the better. If you don't go to your grave confused, you don't go to your grave trusting. Let me read those last two sentences again. When it comes to God's will, the sooner you can get out of the conjecture business, the better. If you don't go to your grave confused, you don't go to your grave trusting. Are you suffering today? Are you going through something that's keeping you up at night? 
Are you enduring something that you just don't understand? If you could ask Jesus one question today and he would answer it, would your question be, why, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Why did that happen or that happen? Why? Listen, the sooner we get out of the conjecture business, the better. The sooner we stop seeking answers to all of the whys, then the better. The why is none of our concern. It's not our burden. And if we don't go to the grave confused, then we don't go to the grave trusting. Jesus knew the whys, and yet he still had to go to the grave trusting. He knew the whys, but we most likely won't get those answered this side of eternity. So what do we do? We listen to Jesus, our great and merciful and faithful high priest. And what does Jesus say to all of us today? Your pain and suffering are there for a reason. Trust your heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we don't like pain and we don't like suffering and and we shouldn't because pain and suffering are a result of the fall of Adam's rebellion and his sin. So we should not be comfortable with it and okay with it. We hate it. We hate pain. We hate suffering. We hate sickness, disease, and heartache. But this is the world we live in. Would you help us to trust you? Would you come and comfort the hearts of those who are going through things that are so overwhelming they just want to quit and give up? Would you let them and cause them to see your son this morning who didn't get a pass on this? Let him see that your son is the perfect savior for suffering people because he was perfected through suffering. We pray for those in Florida who lost family members for this tragedy. We pray for our country, God, that you would just be merciful to us, God. Don't give us what we deserve. Have mercy on us. And may we, as a nation, turn and see Jesus. And may you save sinners in the coming year, Father. And may you be glorified through that. In Jesus' name, amen.